content may not be appropriate for all listeners. Listener's discretion is advised. listeners to WTF You're Talking About, the podcast where we don't know what we're talking about until you do. I'm Katie. And I'm Decca. And we're here to ask each other, what the fuck are you talking about? So here's how this is going to work. We've got six categories of topics, and the next episode's contents will be determined by the roll of a die. The categories are true crime, paranormal, history and education, science technology, entertainment, and current events. So we're going to use an eight-sided die. So if you roll a one, you're going to roll a six-sided die for those same six categories. And if you roll an eight, Nope, well, I'm skipping okay. things. Yep, yep, yep. I got you, boo. <laughs> I'm there with you. Let me try that again. So, <laughs> if you roll a one, you're going to roll a six-sided die for those same six categories, except it has to be local. So, Idaho or any state bordering Idaho. Yes. And if you roll an eight, then it's a wild. And you can talk about whatever you want. Right, you win the lotto. You get unlimited power. But just don't be like the Crystal Skull where you explode. Remember that scene in Crystal Skull? Did you ever when, see Crystal Skull? Whenever you say Crystal Skull, the only thing I can think about is Dan Aykroyd. Oh, <laughs> did I agree with this vodka? Uh-huh. Dude, it's trip, quadruply distilled with quartz crystals. What does that mean? You'd like these just diamonds, but they're not really diamonds. They're it's just like I it they the, some rock sat in this. Yeah, is what it sounds mm, like. Purified it, let the spirits in. It's not quite how that Dude, works. Yeah, I I feel like he went off the deep end. Didn't he? Like, didn't Bill Murray also go off the deep end as well? Oh, I have no idea. I feel like... <laughs> I don't keep up on the Ghostbusters. Yeah, because John Tron, uh, so he's the one that did the video. If you guys are looking for a really great laugh, go watch John Tron's either Dan Aykroyd Crystal Skull video or the Workplace Violence. Like, or Workplace Safety, not that, Workplace that Violence. That one about Kilby. <laughs> <laughs> Remember you walked away with the melon? That was uh-huh. fun. Um, oh, shit. Why was I talking about this, though? Dan Aykroyd, Crystal Skull. Right, because uh, I talk about Crystal Skull because unlimited power, because it reminds me of that scene in the Crystal Skull where the girl's like, oh, I finally can get all the knowledge in the universe, and then her head pretty much explodes. Remember oh, that? No. Oh. I think I saw the movie once. Okay. And that would have been... I remember that scene, and then the fire ants, or the, yeah, the ants that made me terrified to ever want to go to somewhere. When did that movie come out? 2012, I want to say. Uh, Indiana Jones... Heavy crystal skull. Yeah, 2008. Eight. Oh gosh, it was even earlier. Yikes. Yeah, yikes indeed. So yeah, it's been over ten years. Oh my since brother was I've ten. Seen that movie. <sighs> oh, that's a weird thought. Oh, that's like a decade ago. <gasps> it's more than a decade. It's eleven years. <laughs> ah, I'm so old. Is that some really only nineteen? Yeah. No, no, no. Dustin's he's 20. 20? Okay. Yeah. He's turning 21 this year. Okay. That's going to be awesome because we're going to go party. Like math is hard. I tried to take... I was I was all excited to take him to go drink last year. And, and then, then he's like, I'm 20. <laughs> and I was like, well, I just turned 20. I'm like, no! <laughs> so I was really disappointed. Really glad you could be here for this landmark Age moment of my faster. life. Age faster. Um, but yeah. I realized... Hold on. I have to try math. It's all right. You can do it. Math. One. Two potato. Three potato. Yeah, I four. I that my brother is turning 23. 
See, that's how I that's how I started feeling old was the second the youngest sibling became an adult. Yeah. And I was like, huh, I forgot that could happen. Uh-huh. You're supposed to be a kid forever. Somebody, I don't age. Uh-huh. <laughs> Except I have aged. <laughs> you son of a bitch. I have aged so much. <laughs> um. <sighs> I don't remember what we were talking about. Uh, we, just, we just finished talking about oh, what, we, what, we a, what a wild past. was. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't get to the <laughs> Yeah, we're I mean, still there. We sort of got past it. We're in the thick of it. It's yeah. fine. <laughs> Welcome that, to the Twilight Zone. That was basically it. Yeah. The next thing to do is for me to ask you, Decker, what the fuck are you talking about? You know, I talk about everything, really. I'm all over the place half the time. Um, oh, these things are dirty. I gotta clean them now. It's because my hands are all gross. I got gross hands. Uh, well, hang, hang on. Part of it is because I sealed it with Mod Podge. Okay. So that the stickers wouldn't come off. Or the decals. So what do I do? Um, I would what would one do if one has Mod Podge on their stuff? I would wipe it oh, with it a, damp, keep it. a damp cloth, but be very careful, especially on this one. Yeah. Because um, the... I can see that. Oh no, justice broke. I'll probably have to put some more Mod Podge on that, actually, to get it to stay and like these ones where it's really thin i'll just get like a q-tip with like a little bit of wire and go like that's a nice sound here and that's been the care and keeping of dice with yeah. katie here we go here's how you protect your dice and actually actually you know what? that's a great question do you know how to take care of your guys your guys my guys your guys your oh, dice how, how are you <laughs> you're one of my guys so. how do you take how, John do, seems okay. how does one take care of their guys <laughs> Well, they need they need to be fed and watered. I haven't even been I haven't been drinking. I am completely sober, and my brain just decided. You have a case of the Mondays. Oh, dude, today was insane. I'm not sure about your guys' Monday when this happened, which would have been on what July 29th. Fuck if I know. Yeah, yeah, July 29th. Just just think about when it is right now, and then think about last Monday. That's when it is. It is timeless. Right. Um, Monday is eternal. Yeah, I guess it is. But no, today felt like it got away from me. Like, I I looked down after getting to work, like, just starting to work on some stuff, and it was 11. And then I had to go to a meeting, and then it was 2.30. And I was like, what is happening? And then I left work, and I was like, I did nothing. <laughs> <laughs> like, or at least it felt that way. Like, I know I was busy, but it felt like, it felt like I, um, did you see the new Spider-Man movie yet? No. Oh, okay. Do you, do you know, um, you know that scene in Spider-Man 2, when, uh, Tobey Maguire... Mm-hmm. Uh, before his emo phase, because that was in Spider-Man Three, um, when he's thwipping I know, uh-huh. see, at the webs to try and stop the train, he's like, ah, right, yep. like except for like I didn't have any webs and I was face <laughs> down on the tracks. <laughs> that was pretty much it. It's like like stuck the landing. Oh. <laughs> I was the front brake. Yeah, so that's how today felt. Um, but yeah, what am I talking about? Let's get back on subject here, Decker. So, um, CJ brought a toy. Who are you playing with, CJ? Himself. Himself while staring at the closet. Oh, oh! He's playing Caterpillar. Uh, that is... I, I know, it always reminds me of a fuzzy Caterpillar. Uh-huh. It used to be mm-hmm. on a, a, like a string on a stick, one of those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. But the the strick... The strick. The yep. Stri- the stick... Words are great today. I, yeah. You know, words are always great with us. Whenever we record, I feel like... Uh, actually, no, no, really just in real life. I just never have it together with my I, mouth. It's true. <laughs> During our Betrayal Legacy game, somehow I ended up being the one that was always reading the rules. I think it was just because I opened the box so everything was in front of me. My favorite part's when you go, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> <laughs> So I would be reading the rules and the, it's, it's 
the legacy version, it's got all of these like story bits. So reading those, and I'm just like, none, I've I've not said words. I've I've made sounds that don't make any sense. Let me start. There. And there's always that deep breath with the. Give me a second. Let me try again. Yep. <laughs> Reboot. Um. Anyways, but the got... point of that sentence was that the stick and the string are long gone, and we just have a category. Right. Uh. It's not relevant. <laughs> okay. So. Uh, what was I? Um, oh yeah, my so I rolled history and education last time, and I'm not gonna lie, this one was really freaking hard because I was not getting like, I was mm-hmm. trying to think of, like what do I want to talk about. No, and I had that that feeling everything too. kept blanking or like if I was gonna talk about, it, I felt like it was gonna take eons to talk about, like almost like I had way too much information, but to do it like in parts, mm-hmm. it wasn't gonna be good enough, mm-hmm. right? So I'd have to like know a lot more and then do bite-sized chunks and know how to stream. Like it was like a lot of work, and I unfortunately didn't really have time to do that. So then you know what I decided to do. I decided to go for a harder topic for some reason <laughs> and then, like, get a horrible headache yesterday after, gosh, I spent like, almost the entire day working on it. Um, but I'm going to talk about a historical figure who uh, supposedly is the last great mathematician of our current history. Okay. Um, he had 80-plus innovations in the worlds of math, science, and... Um, the economy. Wow. That is many. Yeah. He was, he was like a savant, but not, at least not that I could find. Like, I didn't like find any of the typical, like, savant. You know, like, he was really, really brilliant, but he didn't have like those weird, like, where I'm really good at one thing and then everything Mm -hmm. else in life I'm like horrific at. Like, he was really good at a lot of things. So, um, and also he worked on the Manhattan Project. Ooh. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to talk about, a little bit about that, too. But I'm going to be talking about John von Neumann. Does that name ring a bell at all? Not really. Okay. I wasn't expecting it to. Hey, CJ, can you not step on that, please? No, please hey, get off of hey, that. Buddy. Get off of that. I already had to, like, get back off of that. My poor painting. Where was I at? I'm going to be talking about John von Neumann. <laughs> <laughs> so, um... Yeah, so some history about him is he was born in 1903 and died in 1957. He lived for, uh, he died before his 54th birthday, I believe. He was only 53 years old. And he uh, was a Hungarian-American mathematician, physicist, computer scientist, and polymath. Do you know what a polymath is? No. A polymath is a, a, a word that's a synonym for pretty much someone that okay there's a lot of words here let's clean it up a polymath is an individual who is considered a master or a grand student of multiple subjects okay right so like he um in this example like like like, uh calculus um quantum physics uh uh continuous integral math like like all these different subjects all and all these different houses and stuff he was really good at and he's a quick learner so he was considered like a polymath because pretty much he could grab a subject and run with it yeah okay. he's like stupid smart um he made a number of contributions i tried to list off a couple of them but none of them they're so hard to fucking describe and when i say that i mean like so he made contributions to mathematics to and then part of these mathematics like functional analysis which is a branch of math that studies vector spaces and the linear functions defined in those spaces 
If that makes sense to you, great. That was the dumbed down version I made from reading that. That sounds vaguely like what. Remember, like vectors, because you had to do with the angles, and uh, basically it's the spaces between different uh, integral points. Yeah, that's not what I was gonna say. I was gonna say it sounds vaguely like what Collins does in Rent. <laughs> I don't remember Rent. Okay. If I'm being honest, I've seen it. I loved La Vie Bohème, and that was it. And or <laughs> or, or, or no, the which uh, actually no, I, no, because there's a couple. There's a couple great songs in there, there but I don't remember the plot. I honestly forgot the plot. Well. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I'm not going to read off the list because they're just, there's so many of them. I could, again, there's 80 plus major innovations, theorems, or fields of study he created. That's so many. Yeah. Insane. In 53 years, that's a ton. Um, he published 150 different papers. Uh, I believe 60 of them were in math. 60 of them were in applied sciences. And then the remainder of them had to do with a multitude of either economics or computer sciences. The last uh, manuscript he was working on, he, uh, he died, uh, was when he was, uh, he died in the hospital and, uh, cause he died of, uh, cancer, I believe. Um, he, uh, it was about the, uh, the computer and the brain and how pretty much they're one and the same thing and how they process things and, uh, all that nonsense. I couldn't find the manuscript. So, but I'm sure, I believe you can buy it online on Amazon. I just didn't have time to buy the book. Um, Might I suggest you switch places with this one? This one. Okay. So that you can actually Woo, be face Look at that. <laughs> I split it up. Let's do it the other way. Oh, went too fast. There you go. Shazam! Um... <coughs> Why haven't I not done this before? I don't know, because it, you're, like, talking to the wall instead of the microphone. <laughs> oh, like, I, I'm trying to... Uh, uh, here I am. Okay. Um, yeah, so uh, let's just go ahead, because I'm already going to talk about several of these items. So, um, his youth. Um, he was born to a wealthy Jewish family in Hungary. Uh, and I guess in Hungary, the family name comes first. I think I've heard this before. Yeah, which I didn't know. So it actually would be Von Neumann, and then it would be his name. Mm-hmm. Um, and his actual name, I can't pronounce, so I'm avoiding it. Uh, <laughs> uh, he was the oldest of his siblings, and his father, his name was Max, was a banker with a doctorate in law. And he also became nobility in 1913 for his service in the Austro-Hungarian Empire. I didn't find what specifically he did, but I'm assuming his wealth plus nobility status pretty much made his family like, you know, something like like yeah. the Medici's <laughs> of Hungary. Um, now, this is something that blew my mind because when he was six, he could divide two eight-digit numbers in his head and could converse in ancient Greek. Well, good for him. Right. So an example here that I like to list off to you is imagine dividing by 80,273,481 by 36,320,618. In your head. No, I will not. In your head. I refuse. In your, okay, I love doing math in my head. I love doing it, like, because I love trying to avoid the calculator and, like, seeing, like, if I can do it. Not that. Not that at all. No, I was the There's kid. a remainder involved. There's, there's, like, the one... <laughs> You know, that one kid in class who, like, everyone else is like, well, these are the, the the answers that I got. Oh, I got a two. I got three. I got four. It's like ballpark close. And then you're like, well, I got negative 12. So I did something wrong. That, that was always me in my math class. Yeah. So, and one funny line is apparently one time 
and his mom was staring blankly, he said, what are you calculating? So he thinks people zoning out is because their like brains like crunching all the numbers and like I found that hilarious because it's like it almost makes it me think that he's you know how like I don't really stop thinking mm-hmm. quite often and sometimes it makes my head just kind of explode. Yeah, I can imagine this where it's like he just kind of zone out and he's just like, "What are you thinking about? Maybe I'm just zoning out, okay? Like I'm not thinking about anything." Uh, and fun fact: kids didn't go to school in Hungary until they were like ten. They didn't start education till ten, but because he was so smart, his uh, he was uh, his dad was encouraged to basically get a tutor, so he could start learning um, different you know skills. And his father felt like learning different languages was very 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 important. So the first thing he had him do was learn um, I think it was English, Italian, German, and French, on top of Hungarian and ancient Greek. I mean, he already knew that at six. Why? <laughs> I don't Who? know. How? Well, you know, you know, the reason why he might know ancient Greek was um, there was one time he took a man, uh, he took a historical uh, series. It was uh, uh, 46 volumes of history, and he read all of them as a kid. And one fun fact is apparently um, there's one time where he met up with a professor who knew about the Byzantine Empire, which I don't know about, which might be able to talk about one day for history. Um, and the professor said that he knows probably more than he does as a professor. Because hmm. I guess he really loved history. So there's that. So he can divide really big numbers in his head and speak multiple languages and knows more about the subject that you love. So there's <laughs> that. Um, by age 15, he brought his tutor to tears uh, after having instant solutions to the problems. And uh, the tutor that he had was a renowned analyst and was very brilliant in the world of mathematics. Mm-hmm. So this kid was doing, yeah, differential and integral calculus by eight. Gross. Calculus. I took that class in high school, my senior year. This kid was a decade younger than me doing calculus. And, like, mine was basic calculus, not differential and integral calculus. I don't think I took calculus. We had geometry, algebra, and algebra 2. Normally, yeah, normally it ended with algebra 2 or trig, depending on which path you were on. I was on the accelerated math class because I really loved math. Uh, I failed. Fun fact, I failed my math class senior year because my teacher didn't teach me. And like, and when I say that, um, uh, everyone has different style of learning, right? I'm a very tactile learner. I learn by hands-on. So like when sometimes when I do these research things, I have to talk to myself and I have to constantly read through it because I don't do well just by reading. Mm-hmm. I normally, like, I have to get hands-on on stuff. So my math teacher in high school, he told me pretty much to just read out of the book to do all the questions. And he would say, read from this chapter to this chapter and have these questions done by tomorrow. And that's not how I work. Like, it's very hard for me to process. I can learn that way, but it's much harder on my brain because I just don't adapt easily that well. So I told him about that, and then like, sorry, that's just how I teach. Even though he taught me previously another class and was not this way with calculus, which made me just feel like he didn't really know how to teach calculus. Mm-hmm. And so I had to withdraw from that class because I was failing. Mm. So 
Um, for those of you that have ever failed a class, it may not necessarily have been your fault. Not saying that it, it's not, but uh, everyone learns differently. And just because you don't do well in long class does not mean you're not smart. John had to withdraw from a math class a couple of times in college because maybe a couple of times. Did he have the same teacher twice? I don't know. There's There was a teacher there that was very bad at teaching this particular subject. But I think she was like one of the only ones that was teaching it at the time. And he either had her once or twice and had to withdraw either one time or both times before he could get a different teacher. Well, and that's the thing, too, is John's an engineer. Mm-hmm. So John's not bad at math. In fact, his whole job solely relies on math. Much math. Yeah. Very a ton of math. Well. Right. If he was bad at math, he wouldn't be an engineer. It's true. <laughs> or if he, that's why or he'd be a engineer. really bad engineer. <laughs> so, um, yeah, just a little bit of encouragement and inspiration for you is if you don't, didn't do well in certain classes at school. That does not mean you were bad at those subjects. It just may not have been how you learned. And math is gross. Well, especially if it's eight-digit numbers. Like, that's uh-huh. just absurd. Why? Um, you must have had some sort of weird... There's, like, a new way to do multiplication now. Have you seen that? Is that the Common Core something? Yeah! Yeah, I did not look into that. I was like, I. it took me... Enough time to figure out what they taught me. And this me is how I ready. feel like I'm, I'm like, not gonna muck it up. I feel like my parents now. Like I said, because I remember doing my math stuff, and they're like, "What?" They're like, "Why are you doing it this way?" And I'm like, "This is the new way to do it." And I'm like, this "It's the only way I've me. learned." And they're like, "I can't help you because that's not how I do it." And so, there's that. Mm-hmm. So maybe he had some sort of weird, crazy trick because I know there's some cool things that you can do with mathematics in terms of multiplication. I'm not sure how that works with division. So I know it's probably. 2.5-ish. Sure. It's a rough guess. Because 3 goes into 8. I believe. Well, yeah. Something like that. Anyways. There we go. <laughs> Find out if I was right. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, so after his childhood, he went to a university. And um, his dad wanted uh, him to go into more a more financially useful field. Because he wanted to get his PhD, his doctorate in mathematics. Mm-hmm. For those of you that don't have a mathematics degree, it can be hard to get a job in mathematics unless it's for certain applied uh, collegiate level stuff mm-hmm. or for the government. Like, I mean, like if you're very if you're in a specialized field that can be really practical for maybe like aeronautics mm-hmm. can be great. But just getting a doctorate in mathematics pretty much is only useful. Most doctorates are really only great for teaching, teaching unless it's yeah. for something really useful and when i say useful it's not that that's not useful i i'm trying to figure out how to say this most of the time a doctorate is great because it makes sure that you understand a, a subject matter so much that you can teach collegiate level people thus means that you should be good enough to teach other people that are not collegiate level mm-hmm. that's normally what i see a doctorate used for um or it can just validate your skills so like maybe you have a doctorate but you are you got your doctorate in mathematics but you're an engineer Mm-hmm. really good in terms of like, it's like this guy really knows math. Um, but yeah, he, his dad pursued him, uh, uh, encouraged him to become a, uh, chemical engineer instead. So still an engineer, right? Okay. Um, they thought it was the best compromise, but while he got his, um, uh, degree in, ed- in, in chemical engineering, he also got his PhD in mathematics. Like and, you do. Yeah. And so he did those simultaneously. And, right, simultaneously, I mean, like, at the same time. Mm-hmm. And 
he chose his thesis for the axiomization of Cantor's set theory for his thesis. Now, I just said a whole bunch of words. You're probably like, Decker, what the hell was all, all that nonsense? Um, That's exactly what I'm thinking. So, axiomization, if you break that down, it's an axiom. And an axiom's definition is pretty much something that uh, portrays truth. Okay? So, he's basically, he's trying to write his thesis about the truth of Cantor's set theory. And Cantor's set theory was a theory that had to do with... <clears throat> it wasn't rational and irrational numbers. It was... One of the major discoveries that Cantor's set theory did was it found that infinity is an uncountable number mathematically okay because i guess it used to be thought of that infinity could be a countable number infinitesimally but if you have an infinite number there are numbers that we'd find that we don't know exist theoretically okay yeah I can see where that goes. Right. So it's it seems almost like it's like a philosophy, like kind of like, it's not about what you do. It's about what you don't. Right? It kind of feels like that kind of thing. Jazz is about the notes you don't play. It's <laughs> good about the death. I'm going to rest for the next 15 measures. Um, but make sure you do it in rhythm. Yeah. That's that's when you just like. <laughs> yeah, so that was probably like a really great clip there for an audio track. Right, I know. <laughs> I was just bobbing my head back and forth like a think quagmire, but yeah, that's what I was gonna uh, say. Yeah, you yeah, were doing yeah, the yeah, but all in tempo for the next fifteen. If measures. you could stop doing that, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> the world's shaking. That is uncomfortable <laughs> for me. <laughs> um, so that's what his set theory was about. I'm not going to go into that. It is way above my head. So, and that's the kind of the problem with this guy is the, the reason why I'm actually talking about him was I watched a TED talk when I was looking up stuff about AI because I'm very fascinated with AI. It's kind of the field that I want to go into since I'm trying to pursue more programming. Now by AI, it's not like, hey, Decker, do you want to create a sentient entity that could take over the world? No, not so much. In fact, I don't want to create anything that's almost in a sense self-aware. It's almost like something that's super smart that can be super assistful for people. Thus... No death. So, because <laughs> that, that's one of the things the video talked about was, um, it talked about how smart this guy was mm-hmm. because of all the innovations he had. And that if you had AI, right, in a sense, it can process things faster than we can, thousands of times faster. So in theory, it would get smarter way quicker than us, reach that singularity, and then there'd be a point in no return where pretty much we just invented a god. And at that point, if we it did it kill wrong... It live its own life. Right. And, like, and it may not even try to do that maliciously, it might be the the concept is like These what if I want are inefficient. Well, it's like what if I want to build a road, and there's ants in the way. We're not being mean. We're not trying to kill ants. We're trying to build a road. Mm-hmm. Thus, we're just an obstacle mm-hmm. to overcome. So, if we do build some sort of AI like that, what we've in theory done is we've created a god that's basically now it gets to choose whether or not it wants to keep us around or not. Cool. Yeah. Cool. So, uh, Great. not what I want to go into, but awesome. that's kind of what I was talking about. That was like this guy was genius. So that's how I found out about this guy and decided to talk about him. So, the more you know. Um, but yeah, he, this guy wrote one paper every month. Um, so uh, he did 24 papers from 1926 to 19... No, 1927 to 1929. Mm-hmm. So he did a major paper a month. And one of the things I found really fascinating was he did 150 papers total, right? Mm-hmm. And he had 80 breakthroughs, which means for every two papers... It feels a lot like uh, Alexander Hamilton and the Federalist Papers. 
Federal Papers, is that the right title? I think you're I right. Think it is, but it's I'm not familiar like, with those. Somebody wrote like a handful, somebody else wrote a large amount, and then Alexander Hamilton wrote the other like fucking 71 or some ridiculous number where basically like 75% of them. Yeah. So in theory, or like like in a mathematical sense, haha, roughly every two papers, he had a major breakthrough. You know what I mean? Like that's that's what's insane. It means like every two months he had some sort of major innovation. Um, now, after that, he got he he got married um, in nineteen thirty. So in nineteen in nineteen twenty nine, his father died, and everyone in his family converted to uh, Christianity, which is funny because none of them con- chose to convert to Christianity while he was alive. It was mm-hmm. only when he died. And they were like, everybody in their family, they're like, I <laughs> guess I should do this maybe because death's a thing. Um, but he got married to um, Marietta and I think it's pronounced Clavesi because it's uh, umlaut over an O, which makes kind of an E sound. And by C-E, I mean like a tall E, like an E. So it's Clavesi. Um, they had one kid who currently is a distinguished professor at the University of Michigan. I believe they do business administration and finance, okay. which is kind of fitting, seeing as his yeah. family does not have finance. Um, and then that didn't work out. So about two years after his daughter was born in 1935, they divorced in 1937, hence more math. Um, and then uh, he married Clara Don uh, in 1938, which I guess he had met her several times during frequent trips between where he was living and doing a lot of his um, studentship and going over to the States because he was going back and forth. He got a grant. He got. So was he doing most of his other schooling in Hungary? Um, I don't or think it was in Hungary. Your... Yeah, it was in, I don't remember the exact school because there, here's the thing. There were so many different schools. He went to about seven or eight different universities. But, uh, but basically not here, so he was doing school there. Right, and so he was going and back and back. forth. He got yes. his citizenship in 1937. Um, but what's cool about that is eventually he became a, prof- he got a lifetime professorship in New Jersey. And he stayed there for the rest of his life. Um, in, wow. In like, I think that was... Yeah, I think it may have been 37. So, um, yeah, he got offered a professorship at the Institute of Advanced Study in New Jersey. So, uh, then, um, it's funny because I kind of jumped to some of my stuff. Another thing they tried to do is once he became a citizen, he tried to immediately become a lieutenant in the army reserve and he passed the exams, but was rejected because of his age. Cause he was 34 at the time. So he was, he was quite a bit older. Wow. Basically ancient. <laughs> 34. Well, well, I mean, and I kind of get it, but it's also the army reserve. And also this guy is a, a freaking genius. In fact, um, during his exams uh, for his pre-war analysis of how France would stand up against Germany, he's often quoted, um, oh, France won't matter. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm sorry, France. Yeah. So, uh, and gosh, it's, this is, this is going to really show up how much I know about our history. Um, can you recall, was there any pivotal battle in World War II that had to do with France, like, where, like, it turned, changed the war at all? I really, I'm, I'm being like, blatantly D- honest. D-Day? Well, I know, D- I know D-Day, yes, I know about that one, but, um, was there anything else? Because uh, I was trying to think of anything else other than... Well, they had their whole, like, 
Normandy is fine. Their Atlantic Wall over there. Mm-hmm. Um, I that were totally pivotal. I don't recall off the top of my head because I've never been one to be like, yes, I memorized these battle names. Mm. But yeah, so I thought that was interesting that like <laughs> France won't matter. <laughs> Bye, France. <laughs> I mean, France kind of mattered. <laughs> yeah, it really did. Um, but uh, where were we? Oh yeah, he also wore suits a ton. He wore a ton of suits. Um, he even like most people that met him, they often asked who did his suits? Who ta- who was his tailor? Because he always came in really extravagant, like 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 it wasn't like um, flamboyant, uh-huh. but supposedly it was just really clean, nice suits. In fact, he even rode down to an area. So basically, things that looked fucking expensive. <laughs> right. He rode down on a donkey to meet up with uh, I think, I think some military personnel in in his suits. Okay. Well, that's how many suits this guy had. Was he's like, ah, fuck it. I can just ride down. This is my donkey riding suit. <laughs> my donkey riding suit. Um, Watch the array. Oh, yeah. So here's another fun fact from him. He, uh, he used to play, uh, was it German march music on his uh, gramophone super loudly, and he used to distract those in neighboring uh, neighboring offices, including Albert Einstein. That's so, rude. I know. Right? It's like Albert Einstein. Can you imagine like trying to work and stuff, and all of a sudden you just have like this German marching music? Going what on. year was he playing these German marches? Uh, I'm assuming this was when he was at Princeton. He moved. He went to Princeton. During his stewardship with David Hilbert. So that would have been 1926. So I'm going to guess this was prior to World War II. Okay. But he left there and he actively helped fight. Like, a lot of the stuff he did. He does kind of seem like he's just a bit of a dick. Yeah. (laughs) Smidge. And... Uh, he also was a notoriously bad driver, even though he loved driving, and he'd frequently drive while reading. Isn't that reading... always how it is? The people that are the worst are like, I'm going to drive everywhere. But he used to drive while reading a book. Oh, like, no. Like, instead of, like, drinking and driving or texting and driving, he would read and drive. He constantly got in accidents, and um, when he was hired by IBM, uh, one of the people that hired him, he would pay for the traffic tickets like under the table kind of thing to like keep it from like being exposed. Oh my god. This guy basically was like well because they're like this How does he still have a license? <laughs> well I guess this is a He's long really time ago. smart. <laughs> Just not with driving. Um Okay, so now I'm gonna talk about some of his innovations and then I'm gonna go into the Manhattan Project and all the stuff that he helped up with that and then Death, right? Pretty much how... Sorry, there's just so much in here, so I'm trying to keep track of myself while I'm talking. So, innovations. I'm covering the most important ones. Not every single one of them. There is no way in hell I could cover every single one. We'd be here till tomorrow morning. Oh, dear. No, thank you. So, well, I mean, there's 80 plus innovations. Uh-huh. Like, one of them was fluid dynamics. Um, Like, you know how that, uh, when I talked about um Sonic... uh. Uh, Krakatoa, right? Yes. Right. <laughs> these these gestures on a podcast, it's great. Um, remember how uh, I think I brought up with you, if not with you, with John, 
how I was curious what happened if you broke the sound barrier underneath water and that hasn't been physically possible yet to mm -hmm. see what would happen. That's kind of like one of the things that he was helping with was with I think it was called blast dynamics, which is a really fluid dynamics. Um, a whole bunch of other nonsense. But one of the biggest things is game theory. Have you ever heard of the game theory? Uh, I'm not sure. Think about um, war games. Okay. Okay. It's, it's when something is a zero-sum war, which means that everything equals out. There's no extra remainder mm -hmm. in it. Everything always equals zero. So for every benefit I get, you're going to have a loss. That's in, in like a perfect mathematical world. That's how it has to be. Mm -hmm. And this was used with strategies in terms of like, like think about casualties, mm -hmm. right? If in my most optimized war strategy, how many people die? That's what I want. Right. I mean, I don't want anyone to die, but in this scenario, this is the least amount of casualties. That's my goal. This is the game theory. Um, okay. Right. And it was even used for, he wrote a book that became very popular and it was theory of games and economic behavior, because you can think about it in terms of economics as well. Right. Because for anything that you gain, someone else gets loss. And that's just, I mean, for me, that, that seems like such a, like a law of physics and nature right for anything yeah. you gain someone else is going to be losing out right there can't be a gain on both sides it's because like there's a finite otherwise you just drew energy. more away from someone else uh -huh. that you didn't think was on the table right so if there's ever something more than zero you didn't you miss something right which i think was i was like okay that's very cool i didn't realize he did that um uh Okay, never mind. I'm going. I'm jumping right into the Manhattan Project. I thought that was a little bit later on in my thing, but <laughs> we're gonna go right into it. So Manhattan right. Project, his expertise was in explosions, and he was Boom. the head of it at that. He was like the head consultant at that time. There were several other people that were involved. I'm head with of it, explosions, but it's such a tough mathematical equation because you have you have highly volatile components, and you have like depending on like. Even the smallest change in the angle of how something's aligned can completely change how the explosion happens. So it's really tough to kind of analyze, like, when I make this thing detonate based on its shape and what component I use and what's the, you know, what's the thing that ignites it and all these different things can completely change how deadly it is or what's its area of effect, all that stuff. So uh, he was leading authority in... The fuck? I'm scared. <laughs> it's already here. The AI is among us. Um, I welcome our artificial intelligence. See, that's why I'm trying to be so nice and help bring them about. Because if I bring them <laughs> about, then they won't really... Yeah. I'd like to think they'd want to keep me. Um, I think I'm pretty fun. Um, Dance monkey! Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's t nice talking about you know, our potential demise in the future. Um, or some, some people might say our inevitable demise in the future. Um, yeah. If it's not climate change, it's that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or nuclear fallout. Or famine. Really, there's a lot that can kill us all. That was fun. Yeah. I'm going to move on from that sad story and talk about nuclear bombs. Um, Yay. Yeah. It's a bomb so, bomb. <laughs> yay. Uh, so he was leading authority in shaped charges. And he helped design the explosive lens that shaped how plutonium gets compressed and how it explodes. So he helped create the exact method for how 
the fat boy exploded over Hiroshima. Um, and originally he wanted to target Tokyo. Oh. He wanted to hit Tokyo. Uh, in terms of, like, again, that Zero's uh, some uh-huh. war and stuff, he's like, this is, the, like, the most tactical. Like, this is, I mean, how many people do you kill with that? How many people do you scare with that? You just decimated their capital city. No one's going to want to fight you after that. Yeah, but you can scare a whole lot of people without killing a whole lot of people. Right, but, I mean, we can argue. I mean, I'm totally against it, but I also don't know, like, if there's, I mean, I guess it was successful. As horrible as it sounds, it stopped the war. Or the remainder of the war, I think, right? In a way. I, th- I think it's horrific. I mean, it, it led to different things. I am not like... a fan of it by any means. Because, like, I wonder what the the Cold War situation would have been like had that not happened. Right. Would because... that have amped up like that? Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah. And he insisted on using an implosion because he felt like... Because uh, if you use an ex- explosion, right, you're letting multiple factors affect how the explosion's going to go off. Because there, if there's, like, a little gap here or something slightly off, right, the explosion leaves way too much out here to be a factor. If you do an implosion, you've controlled where everything compresses, and then everything at that moment, since, you know, it's high, high to low, it's all going to want to go out in equal amount. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you can shape, like, you know, like how you get the mushroom cloud and all that wispy smoke and whatever. Um, you know, all that deadly stuff. That's so just, he, just extras. So he insisted on using that, and he, wanted to use, he recommended using more powerful charges with less visionable material, sorry, like it won't get lost, to increase the speed of the assembly of it. Now, originally, this wasn't uh, going to happen until they were running out of time and materials, and they actually were going to be using uranium, but they didn't have enough uranium. So since they were moving to plutonium, they decided to go with the other method. And his calculations showed that if it, as long as the implosion didn't depart by five degrees from the spherical symmetry, it would be successful. And eventually, they construct the construction of, I guess they called it the Trinity Bomb, was completed, and he was one of the few people to see the very first detonation of this bomb. Right. And where was that? Was that in Nevada? Uh, or... Los Alamos. Oh, okay. Because that's where it was being built, so I'm assuming it was there. Um, it's I... New Mexico. There's one particular place where I know that they, they've tested lots of things like that. Keep, keep going. I'm okay, gonna... yeah, go ahead and find it. Um, But yeah, so he... Um, and he also recommended that it detonate above the ground because with mathematically, if it were to hit the ground, it would change the shape of the explosion and it would be unknown how much damage there would be. Um, cause I guess the thing was they wanted to, of course, maximize casualties with, I guess, going insane or having it not be as effective because think, think about like this thing blowing up and it detonates at like a fifth of its size. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a big bomb. That's, now you just pissed him off. Yeah. Right? Um, so, but if you... Uh, Los, Al- uh, <laughs> Los Alamos is a town in Los Alamos County, New Mexico, United States, that is recognized as the development and creation place of the atomic bomb, the primary objective of the Manhattan Project by mm-hmm. Los Alamos National Laboratory during World War II. So right. yes, that is where they tested it. So, yeah, it limited the shockwave, and that's why he recommended detonating it several, um, I think it was several kilometers above ground. 
so that way about the target so that way it would have an equal dispersion of its explosion and like mm-hmm. nothing would be hampered um cool there's that um but yeah so yeah he recommended hitting oh yeah kyoto is what he was gonna hit sorry not tokyo but he wanted to hit the culture capital kyoto Yikes. instead um, and then it was did not dismissed by Secretary of War Henry L. Simpson. So we have Simpson to thank to keep mm-hmm. for keeping to. Could could you imagine if Kyoto was around? Yeah, because we I mean we talked about a lot of Japanese stuff when I did mm-hmm. my my kitsune thing and like there's so much rich heritage there. Like I I don't know what would have been like we well, wouldn't know and but. that's. That's the thing is, if you look at it purely mathematical, you remove all human elements. And at that point, why are we doing math? Why are we alive? Let's just all die. Right. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. Math makes you sad. Um, if, if you're only doing math, then yes. I mean, math very right. specifically makes me sad. So in after the war, I guess someone named Robert Oppenheimer. I'm not sure what he is important for, but he remarked that the fist involved. Uh, in Isn't the project, like an Oppenheimer Foundation or something. Maybe, but it said that he had known that that the the physicist had known sin, and von Neumann's response was that sometimes someone's someone confesses sin in order to take credit for it. Huh. Which I kind of took that as like an offhanded remark, as in like it wasn't about like I'm assuming for him it was all mathematical, and I don't know, I don't like to believe that everyone's a monster, but. The way how I took that was like by him state that by that other guy stating that it was sin. It was almost like them taking credit for like all this catastrophe that happened and like all the success that happened. So it, by stating that, that's kind of how I took mm-hmm. it. You know what I mean? Um, so Oppenheimer was a theoretical physicist. Uh, he he was a professor of physics at the University of California, Berkeley, and he is quoted with uh, these three quotes in particular: "I am become death, the destroyer of worlds." Any man whose errors take ten years to correct is quite a man. The optimist thinks this is the best of all possible worlds. The pessimist fears it's true. Hmm. Interesting. <sighs> um, but he also heavily advocated for MAD, which was mutually assured destruction. Because mm-hmm. as soon as like as soon as this was successful, he knew that the Soviets were going to be working hard to get this uh-huh. kind of power. So he he was such a like advocate for making sure that this was so well known and basically to create to make sure that the Cold War happened in a sense because if it didn't then it meant that nukes may have been launched. You yeah. know what I mean? It was basically like scaring them like if you launch everything launches everything dies. Yeah. So like that was why he like he basically encouraged them to ramp up nuclear creation just in case they tried to, like, call the bluff and stuff. Because, I mean, that's why we had the nuclear arms race. Because the second someone had more than that, in theory, it didn't matter who had more or less. It was like, oh, I can win, even though I've just destroyed the entire planet. Because at that point, no one wins. Right. Isn't that scary to know that we still have enough nuclear warheads on the planet to pretty much wipe out civilization? Yeah. Yeah. And it all be over in a matter of minutes. That's the scariest part, I think, of all. Is, like, it'll be over in minutes... And like if anything detonated over here, we would wouldn't even know about it until like we wouldn't know it even if it happened because mm-hmm. it'd be yep so fast. Um, That's neat. that always scares me. I remember having a nightmare once about an atom bomb going off, and 
trying to find my family, but then I, I got vaporized. So that was sad. <laughs> <laughs> God, this episode's so sad. And then I got vaporized. <laughs> so, um, okay, I'm just going to kind of jump up here a little bit. Uh, but he also um, helped create the, the electrical uh, or the weather warning systems as well with his mathematics. Uh, and then, I mean, we all know that he had such crazy cognitive abilities to where he was able to, he could memorize things in the, like, the phone books and then recall the exact page with the exact person. Sorry. Like, just like within like seconds of looking at it. I have a feeling he had an eidetic memory. Mm-hmm. Like, it just feels like he cheated. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. when someone has that good of genetics and like, I can just remember everything all at once, like, I mean, good for you, but I also feel like you hacked life. Yeah. <laughs> Like, you got cheat codes. Um, <laughs> Rosebud. All right. Uh, and then, do, do, do. so, um, yeah, in 1955, he was diagnosed with boner uh, or pancreatic cancer. It's unknown which one. <laughs> um, I'm not laughing at cancer. It sounded like you said boner. Boner. I was like, yep. he had boner, boner cancer. cancer. Man. God. That would be so, so sad. Um, but, uh, yeah, and I guess he was very fearful of death. You know, and I mean, if you think about it, he was 53, mm-hmm. which I mean, my dad, it's not very old. my dad's, oh gosh, how old is my freaking dad now? He's about to hit 60. Yeah, he's 59. He's about to hit 60. Right. It's weird to think wow. like about like my dad is much older than yours. <laughs> yarp. Um, it's just weird to think about that. And every so often I think about mortality and like. Oh gosh, that's gonna suck. Um, Will it though? We don't know. Yeah, I mean, it could be everything just resets. I don't know. <laughs> kind of be freaky. Like it's like I know I'm here now, but if like everything resets, it's like Will-? I don't know. Fuck it. It's like uh, that's. I now I'm gonna start having an existential crisis. Well, like the theory of past lives is super interesting. <sighs> I mean, in a sense, since energy can't be created or destroyed. Mm-hmm. You've already always existed. So that's how I kind of view it sometimes. It's like, and since you, you're always going to be immortal because you've, since energy can never be created, destroyed, you've always already been, thus you always will remain. Mm-hmm. And maybe entropy is just everyone's dead. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> the more you know. Um, but he invited uh, a priest to come over and go see him. And Von Neumann reportedly said, so long as there is the possibility of eternal damnation for non-believers, it is more logical to be a believer at the end. And it's funny that he says that because I've thought the same thing. And that's where it's like, let's say there's nothing. Let's say there's nothing. Okay, cool. I can't change that. Let's say there is something, though. And let's say if there was that something and I'm wrong and it judges me and now I burn the eternal pit forever, that sure sucks. So it's better to hedge my bets on something existing but see, I wonder about it's that. If if that's your your theory there, when you get to the end, is, did you actually believe? That's another excellent <laughs> point, right? Yeah. So then it's like, it doesn't matter. That that feels a lot like Martin Luther and indulgences. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And he was like, no, you can't just like buy an indulgence and be, indulgence and be like, it's fine. I'm gonna go do this sin, and here's my right. get out of jail card. Yeah. Mathematically, it makes more sense to place my bets on God. Um. 
But, yeah, I guess he was always terrified of death. He never got any peace or comfort before he died. Um, it's interesting that he was so terrified of death, yet he helped to create one of the most, most deadly things. Right. Well, and I, my theory about this is, since he was such a brilliant man, and he was trying to write, it's almost, my thought would be like, I have all these ideas, I'm never going to be able to get them all out. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's going to be a part of me that's lost forever. It's kind of what my thought is. Like, if I was some sort of brilliant person, working on these things, also I find out I have cancer, and um, I only have so much time left, but there's all these innovations I'm trying to do. I'm, you know, it's kind of like the idea of, like, why, like, that sucks initially. It's like, I'm never going to be able to do everything. Mm-hmm. And for someone who's so smart and can pick up everything, that must have been a massive a frustration. Lot, yeah. Right? Because it's like, yeah, you're really good, but no one survives life. So, um, but yeah, that is John von Neumann. Wow. So a lot of information. Yeah. He's uh, a busy guy. Yeah. He was also really big into quantum. Uh, he said his biggest innovations was mathematics and uh, quantum physics and computing. Like, he's like, if there's anything I should be known for, it's for those things. It's for this, this, and this. Right. Well, and I guess it's, I mean, he brought, like, he helped with computing and, like, with processors and all that nonsense. And Oh, yeah, you said he worked at IBM? Yeah. Yeah. He's hired by IBM, so. Whew. So that's me. So, Katie. Yes, Snugger? What the fuck are you talking about? Well, I went a... I I had entertainment, and I went a very different direction from that, so this will be a little bit more like... I'm hot, and I'm dying. <laughs> I am I am a wet mess. Excuse me. I just gotta... <sighs> moisture is the essence of pain. I don't care what Ben Stiller says, because like, moisture is the essence of wet. What is the essence of beauty? Remember like when he's like a mermaid? Did you ever see Zoolander? Uh, once. Okay. I was not impressed. Okay. <laughs> My heart. Therefore, I did not feel compelled to watch it again. <sighs> Sorry, I just... Uh, I'll keep this out. Reading your title, it's pathetic up paper. Uh-huh. <laughs> it just seems like such a funny title. Okay. Alright. So, Katie? Yes, Decker? What's happening with my tongue? Doing? My tongue just started spasming out, and then it felt like it felt like I had a a zots a zots candy in my mouth. A what? Zots. It it's um it's one of those hard candies where when you suck on it, it kind of gets all fizzy. Okay. Right, and it turns like this weird jello that's like really poppy, poppy, poppy. It looked like you were doing your best impression of like a frog trying to catch yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but like, is this it here? It was like the weirdest sensation. I was like, oh gosh, what's tingling my tongue right now? That's mm. that was weird. Sorry. <laughs> Fucking. I'm excited for you to listen back to that. <laughs> um. So, Katie. <laughs> yes, Doctor. What the fuck are you talking about? Well, I. Well, I'm having a you know stroke over here. <laughs> so I rolled entertainment. Okay. And I was going to talk about one thing, and I was just not, like, super into it, because I also had a super difficult time figuring out what I was going to talk about, because just nothing was jumping out. And mm-hmm. then 
John mentioned something to me Saturday. And I was like, was it Saturday? No, it was Friday night. And I was like, oh. And then I looked into it a little bit on Sunday and I was like, or Saturday. And I was like, well, fuck. No, oh, I, no, fuck. I lied. It was Saturday that he told me about this. He was like, yeah, this thing. And I was like, oh, my God, that's so cool. And then I had to completely, like, throw out all the research that I'd already done. Well, plus, like, you have a whole bunch over. of research. Research. <laughs> research for next time. Jeez. Words are hard. They really are. Words, words, words. The famous words of Bo Burnham. But, yeah. So. When... Well, first let me preface this. Okay. Have you ever been to Chuck E. Cheese? I fucking love Chuck E. Cheese. When was the last time you were at a Chuck E. Cheese? Oh, God. It's funny you mention that because I know I went as an older teenager, not by choice, because I was so, I was like, I'm so over Chuck E. Cheese, even though I played the shit out of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle game. Oh, yeah. That was my jam. And the Spider Stomp. Oh, fucking love Spider Stomp. Um... Yeah, I could honestly, if I were to ever go back there right now, I'd just be playing the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle game because that game was there. so good. Because it was also right by a A One Video Game Exchange, which is what I used to hit up all the time. I think that I don't think that it's not around still anymore. There, yeah. It's completely gone. So they definitely cheated me out of a lot of games. I definitely got a quarter for one Game Boy Advance game once. I was very upset. Um, the last like, time I was there, I think I was like fifteen or sixteen, and it was for one of my. Um, nephew's birthdays okay or stepnephew so what, what about what year do you think that is well if i was 15 i'm 26 now that'd be a decade which would probably be 2007 okay so if you were there in 2007 then would you be a little confused to learn that chuck e cheese actually went bankrupt in 1984 i'm not surprised and ceased to be a company now I'm confused. <laughs> there we go. But I, does that building even exist? Am I just walking into an empty building? Is it a ghost building? Have you ever heard of Showbiz Pizza Place? Never. Okay. Have you heard of the Pizza Wars? No. But this reminds me of uh, one of the Finance at Freddy's games that has something similar to this. We're going to talk about that. And I know, because I, I know like it feels like it was partially inspired by Chuck E. Cheese because of all the creepy animatronics and whatnot. Oh, yeah, it, no, oh. we're absolutely going to talk about that. Okay. Uh, no. So but, we're going to talk about the Pizza Wars. The Pizza Wars. Which that was between... Hey, war. we've done it again. Somehow our topics sink War. <laughs> what is are, it good these are different for? Wars. Pizza! <laughs> Uh, so this is between, uh, what was the full name of the, Chuck E. Cheese's Pizza Time Theater and Showbiz Pizza Place. They fought each other. They both went bankrupt. They merged together and became a freaky. Not quite. Okay. So Chuck E. Cheese's, formerly known as Chuck E. Cheese's Pizza Time Theater and Chuck E. Cheese's Pizza. Okay. And I am aware that the full name is Chuck E. Cheese's. However, I will forever say Chuck E. Cheese because that is what I said as a child and that is what I grew up saying and that is in have you seen blazed new, in my brain. Have you seen the new animation for Chuck E. Cheese? Yeah. It looks like a, like a legit mouse. Uh-huh. Not even a mouse. It actually looks like a rat. I 
we're gonna sorry, talk about this. Sorry, sorry, it just you reminded me of that freaky abomination. No, I know, but don't don't worry. It's I like mean, when they not changed... don't worry, but you're gonna learn some things. It's like when they changed. I'm pretty sure they changed how the leprechaun looked once in Lucky Charms. I don't remember. And that. He had like a really freaky look for a while. I know. Yeah, sorry, go I ahead. You're you're just bringing back a lot of trauma in my <laughs> childhood. Oh, good. The oh, and I also have things in the drive, but you don't have to bring them up now yet. Okay. Uh, so these were. Uh, that was it's a chain of restaurants. Uh, false. It's a chain of American family entertainment centers and restaurants. There uh, was headquartered in Irving, Texas. The inter- establishment serves pizza and other menu items, uh, complemented by arcade games, amusement rides, and animatronic displays as a focus of family entertainment. Yeah, it felt like a more child-friendly zone. Like, uh, do you remember Skate World? Yes. I fucking love Skate World. John and I were talking about that earlier. And then the the, the owner was a pedophile, if I recall correctly. I do not recall this. I, I just remember pretty, it closed and I was sad. If he wasn't a pedophile, he, he, there was some sort of sexual assault that happened towards a minor there. Ew, which gross. is why I shut down. Cool. Man. <laughs> you guys, I'm really a picker-upper today. The brand derives its name from its main animatronic character and mascot, Chuck E. Cheese. It's a comedic mouse who sings and interacts with guests. Do you know what the E stands for? I used to know. Entertainment. His name is Chuck Entertainment Cheese. Chuck Cheese. <laughs> Chuck that, Entertainment kids. Cheese. I know. <laughs> what is the entertainment cheese? Is that like is that like when when Kraft Singles gets into a new batch of more filtered Kraft Singles? Because you know, like Kraft Singles are processed cheese. Right? Yes, but I don't. How does that make it entertaining? I don't know. I like. I'm thinking like I like a really like plasticky cheese, since it's a. I don't think I would, a, a plastic. plasticky cheese, I don't think I would call it entertainment cheese. <laughs> mm. <laughs> the first location opened in San Jose, California, and that was under the name Chuck E. Cheese's Pizza Time Theater. That was May 17th, 1977. So that's when the first one opened. Okay. 1977. The concept was created by Nolan Bushnell. That name sounds familiar. I was just going to ask you. Uh, that's because he's the co-founder of Atari. No way. Yes. Are you fucking shitting me right now? No. I'll have to tell... I actually have a story. I have, I have a bit I definitely want to talk about one day about Atari. So. And in 1978, he purchased Pizza Time from Warner Communications, which was Atari's parent company at the time. So it was like this little pet project, and then he bought it outright. The Pizza Time Theater was the first family restaurant to integrate food, animated entertainment, and an indoor arcade. Bushnell was looking to expand arcade games from adult-centered establishments, such as pool halls and bars, and the, like, stereotypical teen-filled arcade Mm -hmm. that weren't necessarily welcome in the community, because, oh, this is where all of the, uh... I can't think of the word. Uh, for people that do bad at school. <laughs> Starts with a D. Did did I No. Um I keep wanting to say Daleks and that's not a person. Daleks. Uh, um, for kids that do bad in, in delinquents? Yes, delinquent, that's it. There you go. Uh you know, the stereotype of it being full of delinquents and troublemakers. Yeah. Uh, so they weren't necessarily welcomed in the community. And they definitely weren't sending their children out to go play there. 
So there's this huge demand for video games for children, but there isn't anywhere for them to go play them. So seeing how much money that these arcades were making, Bushnell was like, you know, I would like to get in on that side of the action because they are making more money than we are on this side. So he wanted to create a place where kids would want to go and play games, but the parents would also want to go and take their children. So this was kind of a, not necessarily, like it wasn't necessarily the whole purpose, but one of the big things was like, hey, if we have this, this is a new place we can put Atari games. So that, ma that makes sense. That makes total sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But they also, one of their, like, main things was they wanted to entertain the adults that were also there with the children. Because they weren't necessarily coming to play games. They were probably going to sit while their children ran around playing whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, and he chose pizza for it to be a pizza place because pizza is easy. It's hard to mess up pizza. Yeah, it's very hard to mess up pizza. And it comes. Most people love pizza. And it comes with the. It's easy to share, and it comes with a built-in wait time. And you know what you can be doing while you're waiting for your pizza? You're putting quarters in machines. So it makes sense. Yeah, makes a ton sense. The animatronics were not originally part of the plan, but after Bushnell went to Disneyland with his kids, and he was in the Enchanted Tiki Room, he was okay. like, I "Oh, say, Small World." No. I was about to lose. No, 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 no. Hate that place. He's in the enchanted tiki room, and he was like, "Oh, like I could, I could do something like this." So one of the things that set Chuck E. Cheese apart was that it served alcohol, and that no. wasn't. Uh huh. Why don't they do that? Do they do that still? I have no idea. I haven't been to a Chuck E. Cheese for a million years. So the animatronics were not originally part of the plan, but after a visit to the enchanted tiki room at Disneyland, Bushnell was like, "Hey, I could." I could make something like this and it's entertaining and it's, you know, easy because like the Enchanted Tiki Room isn't something where you're like running around doing stuff. It's a, a sit down thing, if I am correct. Right. I've never been in the Tiki Room because it has been under construction. I believe it is. So. I think I went there once. Only one time, though. So. One of the things that set Chuck E. Cheese apart was that it served alcohol, which these other arcades weren't doing. Mm -hmm. So, basically, the animatronics were there to make a boozy pizza hall seem like a friendly place to take, like a family-friendly arcade to take your kids. So were the animatronics for kids, or were they also intended for the adults? The animatronics were intended for the adults. Oh my gosh, okay. That's they did you... not expect the kids to like these. That's where you fucking lost me, because everything else sounds good. Like, it all makes sense. Like, games for kids, and also teenagers and some adults like games around that time, right? So it'll... I could... I will probably, at some point, do a whole bit just about the animatronics, because it's Fucking fascinating. But they their first animatronics that they had there were like cabaret singers. Okay. That, and they, they also had a lounge area, which was where the parents could go relax. And then these cabaret singers would... Uh, the first one was a, a hippo. I think her name was Dolly? I was going to say Dolly, which is kind of weird. Maybe it wasn't Dolly, but she was a hippo. And she would, and the I listened to some of the the tracks that she. Uh, 
she would sing popular music of the time and she would make like adult jokes. She'd make adult jokes? Uh Uh-huh. That's hilarious. And she had very specific, a very specific design because her chest moved. Anytime she would sing a high note, her boobs would go up and down. What? This the was the first fuck? animatronic at Chuck E. Cheese. What the? Are you are you shitting me right no. now? That is fucking weird and hilarious. Eventually, they reskinned. Do you have a picture of that in there? Because I'm just curious. Like, I'm not of that one. Um, okay, go ahead and keep going. Let's yeah. see if I can find it. The that one gave way to like a a piano playing moose. As one of the lounge singers, or one of the the cabaret animatronics. Dolly Dimples, that's it, yeah. Terrifying as fuck. I don't like that at all. Okay, uh, uh, uh. See? This is her? Uh Uh-huh. See? Their boobs are moving. Oh, who just chucks, who just chucks shit at Dolly? She's just singing a song. A piece of garbage. Oh, oh, no, no, she's just sleeping. Okay. But the, the animatronics were targeted towards the adults. And, like, one of the original... It also has, like, an orange perm. Yeah. <laughs> one of the original iterations of Chuck E. Cheese, like, the actual mascot guy, in one hand he had a cigar. And the guy who did the voice acting for, like, 30 years, when they told him the character they wanted, said, think about a Jewish rat from Jersey. You brought Jews back. Like again, full circle. Like how do we how how does this keep happening? Okay. So like these we're not there for the kids. Okay, so we had race humor and we had <laughs> And they were telling jokes that were very clearly like over the kids' head. Like they were targeted at the adults that were there waiting for their children. So these were meant to entertain the adults. Was However, Donna Miller? Does that name sound familiar? Vaguely. Oh, it sounds familiar to me too. We'll have to check that out. That's okay. Sorry. Continue. However, the kids actually really liked them. And they were like, oh, okay. So the, the original, I kind of went off of my, on a, a tangent about animatronics. It's okay. Before I meant to. I'm glad when I sing my tits don't like freaking like ascend. <laughs> ascend. <laughs> So the original design for Chuck E. Cheese was based on a mascot costume mm-hmm. that Bushnell bought at a conference. A coyote. So the original name for the project was Coyote Pizza. However, when the mascot costume showed up, he discovered that what he thought was a coyote was actually a rat. So then the name changed to Rick Rat's Pizza. But marketing people were not a fan of that, which was then how it rolled around to Chuck E. Cheese, which also very, very much a play at Mickey Mouse, Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah, had a feeling. Uh huh. And that that is something that Bushnell has had, had he said that right. like that's kind of what that's he's smart going for. in terms of like marketing because you already have such an iconic character. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh wow, another fun friendly yeah. character who smokes. And at the time, and definitely probably still today, the largest name in animatronics is Disney. Oh, yeah. So there weren't a lot of 
at least a whole lot of places that were, well, meh. So Disney is the biggest name in animatronics, but they're also highly protective of the work that they do. So it's not like, yep, these are how we make our animatronics. You can go make your own. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> not no, how that works. No business would do yeah. that. Or no, no smart, long-lasting business would do that. So working with an investor, I think he was a popular, popular. He, I want to say he had some, he was really high up in the like Holiday Inn chain. So he had lots of money. So working with Robert Brock, Bushnell began to franchise and spread out across, across the country, opening more robot pizza arcades. The original plan for the animatronics was to create cabaret singers for the lounge. And that was where the parents could relax. Uh, the first one was a busty hippo. Her boobs went up and down when she hit high notes. Uh, surprisingly, the kids loved it. Now we're going to meet someone else. And this is where it starts to get more interesting, because it was interesting before. Okay. <laughs> Aaron Fetcher, he was an inventor. Uh, at this time, he was going door to door trying to sell a pool cleaning device that he had created to raise money for his company, Creative Engineering Inc., which he had started because he wanted to build a car that got really, really good fuel mileage or gas mileage. Okay. And he needed money to fund the company. So one of the doors that he went up to just so happened to belong to a mechanical engineer that owned a company that was working on control systems for shooting galleries for amusement parks. So when he introduced himself to this guy, it was like, he said that he was an inventor. And the guy was like, oh, yeah, well, like, what do you invent? And he's like, well, I could probably invent anything if I had enough time or whatever. And he's like, oh, what about a control system for a shooting gallery? He's like, yeah, probably. So he started working with them. So he, he worked with them for a while. And he got really good at the skills needed for and around animatronics. So there's a, a conference, and this is the same one that, that Bushnell went to when he got the coyote mascot costume. It was uh, something, something, amusement park, something. <laughs> Perfect. Amusement park. I don't remember. I thought I would remember them. Amusement I park number 302. It's, it's basically an entertainment and amusement park conference. Conference? Yeah. So the first year that he goes, he takes an animatronic talking head. The second year, he takes a whole bear. The third year, he takes a band made up of three bears. And people were impressed. According, and this is where the story gets a little bit murky. Because you have two different accounts of what happened. According to uh, Fester, Bushnell approached him and asked him if he'd be interested in selling him some animation for the animatronics at his pizza arcades. He said no, because he had already had one of his designs stolen at the request of a customer that he created a game for. This game was the original Whack-A-Mole. Oh, so, so this guy invented Whack-A-Mole for this customer. This customer then took the design without permission and mass produced it and essentially stole his idea. Oh, that's horrible. According that's always a big fear any uh -huh. creator has, because as soon as you create something, it's like, who's going to try and take this from me? Mm -hmm. Right. Gosh, I can't even imagine. According to uh, Bushnell though, he was not interested in Fesher's designs because they used a lot of hydraulics and he felt that hydraulics were too high maintenance for what they wanted to do. Mm. So it's like, I don't who, I don't know. Was he interested? Was he not? Who knows? 
Either way, they were not working together. About a year or so later, Fesher sees that Chuck E. Cheese has been invested in by Robert Brock and is set to expand all over the country, opening 280 restaurants. And he was, oops, there it is. He was furious. He wanted that contract. So he put together this big presentation to take to the next conference to get people's attention. So he brought two animatronic bands. He brought the three bears mm. and a new one called the Wolf Pack Five. And he had both of them play at the same time. And it worked. He got people's attention. Word about how great these animatronics were got back to Robert Brock. Uh, Bushnell had assured Brock that outside of Disney, that his company was the only one making animatronics. But now here's this guy at this conference who's making animatronics and arguably doing a better job at it. Mm -hmm. And also in general, that's, there were lots of other companies that were doing animatronic things. So Mm -hmm. that was just kind of not true. Uh, So Brock got out of the contract that he was in with Bushnell, uh, citing misrepresentation. He offered Fetcher, and I'm not sure how to say his last name, 20% ownership in a restaurant chain that would allow, and it would allow Fetcher to retain the rights to the characters that he creates, and then Brock's company would be able to use them royalty-free. That's kind of a good deal. So he keeps them, but like Mm -hmm. they're also being used for, so he could use them for whatever he wants. Yeah. And this That's is kind of it feels kind of rare. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, and I it, it kind of has an interesting outcome. Okay. That we'll talk about a little bit later that it the whole this whole like pizza war situation is weird. Mm-hmm. Mechanically, it's known that Fesher's animatronics were more sophisticated, they move more fluidly, um, and animatronic wise, they're just better. Character wise, there is no consensus. There are very strong opinions on either side about which ones were better. Uh, I was surprised <laughs> how strong the, these opinions were. So, remember, first Chuck E. Cheese opened 1977. March 3rd, 1980, Showbiz Pizza Place opens it do- its doors. Chuck E. Cheese had no idea that Showbiz Pizza Place was a thing until they opened their doors and they only found this out because showbiz refused to take delivery of a set of Chuck E. Cheese animatronics that had been delivered to them. So this was supposed to be a Chuck E. Cheese. So they, so they someone tried to deliver animatronics to the wrong place and that was, no, this was supposed to be a Chuck E. Cheese and Brock and his company took it and made it not basically oh so, it's, so then chuck e so cheese they lost they lost the site they lost the location yes but then chuck e cheese sued them for breach of contract and eventually it did rule in the favor of chuck e cheese because i i feel like that was a breach of contract yeah <laughs> So now we have these two competing robot pizza arcades. How many of those does the country fucking need? But both of them continue to compete until the video game crash of 1983, which I didn't know was a thing. That sounds familiar. 
But so that happens, and both restaurant chains are losing money. In a last-ditch effort, which it's so funny that this was like their last hurrah, like this will save the company. What they do is they reskin one of they their kill the children. <laughs> they reskin one of their once popular lounge animatronics. Uh, it was known as the King, and it was a lion. Who? Guess what? Oh my He's... gosh, she's still there, right? The lion. No, I, I swear I saw him. Like he wasn't like a legit animatronic. I think he may have even been like a cardboard cutout. But I swore I saw him in the pizza section at Chuck E. Cheese when I was like super young. I thought that was a thing. Well, maybe maybe it was only at this location. I'm gonna say probably not. Okay. Um, because that sounds really familiar. Their last ditch effort was to take this uh, lion animatronic called the King, who sang Elvis music, and reskin him as. King Cat, who sang Michael Jackson music. King Cat sounds familiar. Okay, maybe was that one? No. Unsurprisingly, this was not successful, and Chuck E. Cheese filed for bankruptcy in 1984. That's unfortunate. I always feel bad when I hear about businesses failing after, like, because it's such an interesting, I don't want to say gimmick, but it kind of is. Well, I mean, yeah, it, it is a gimmick, and yeah. but that's the whole it's thing. It's a niche thing. Mm-hmm. So, as we talked earlier, you're probably like, so what the hell? If they went bankrupt in the 80s, how was I in one in the 90s and early 2000s? You weren't. I drove by one on the way home. Yeah. It's uh, on Fairview? Fairview, yeah. This is because Showbiz Pizza bought what was left of Chuck E. Cheese and merged with them. Oh, it was a merger. Okay. When they merged, they didn't keep their own name. They took the Chuck E. Cheese name. Which is probably smart, because it's pretty... I, well, I don't know. It, I, to me, that seems like a little bit of a weird move, because they, they took the name of the company that failed and went bankrupt. Right, but in terms of like marketing, right, Showbiz Pizza... Pizza or Chuck E. Cheese. And if they knew that the animatronics were really flashy with the kids, and since they're friendly, it seems more appropriate to take that. Showbiz had their own animatronics. Okay. They had their whole own section of animatronics created by Aaron Fechner. Right. And we will talk about, because I've got a a picture of his, like, kind of big, big thing, because they've got the... You know, Chuck E. G's had Munch's make-believe band or whatever. Showbiz had, well, I guess that's the most recent iteration of what is the animatronics at Chuck E. Cheese. Showbiz mm-hmm. had the Rock of Fire explosion band. Do, do, do. Yeah, so 1990, concept unification began, which was like the physical merger, which was where they started to like reskin the actual buildings and the animatronics at the showbiz pizza places into the, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. So 1992 is where things kind of went south for Fetter. Chuck E. Cheese owned the rights to their characters. So when they bought them, they, uh, Showtime or showbiz, when they bought Chuck E. Cheese, they got the rights to those characters and they also owned like the intellectual property for those characters. They belong to the company. 
the characters that Fetcher had created, most notably the Rock of Fire Explosion Band. And that consisted of a brown bear, a gray wolf, a silverback gorilla, a polar bear, a mouse, a dog, and a bird. Which, that's an odd assortment of animals. That is. But Brock had promised him that he would retain the rights to his characters. Uh, that was a sentence fragment. So Brock had promised Fetcher that he would retain the rights to the characters that he'd created. So despite the fact that this company could continue to use these characters royalty-free, they wanted to own the intellectual property. And they didn't like that they didn't own them outright. So they basically told Fesher that he could sell them the rights or... Okay, bye. What? So he sold his stock or sold his ownership in the company, took his characters and left. So the only characters that these this company had left to use were the ones they already owned, which were the Chuck E. Cheese characters. So they couldn't use any of the showbiz characters anymore because Fetcher took them when he left. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So it was either sell these to us or you're fired? I don't think it was quite like that, or... but it was like, this is what we want. We're going to get what we want eventually and he was like no i've already had my design stolen once before i don't want to do that yeah that's right so he took his things and left by the time so at, at this time they they're so they're switching over completely to the Chuck E. cheese characters by this time the lounges have disappeared so things like dolly the hippo the the moose the king all of the lounge singers are have been gone for a while. The restaurants that had previously been Showbiz Pizza, they had three stages. So there was the main, like the center stage that had three characters on it. A stage to the right that had two characters on it. One or two, and then a stage to the left that had one character on it. And I mention this specifically because that's how you know that that location was a showbiz pizza that was converted into a Chuck E. Cheese, is that three stages. Which therefore means that that the one in Boise was a showbiz showbiz pizza. Yeah, because I know exactly Mm -hmm. it was isolated in different stages. Yep. That's kind of freaky. And in my digging around on the internet, it sounds like there was actually a Chuck E. Cheese, like just outright a Chuck E. Cheese in Boise on Fairview over by where Harbor Freight is. Okay. So that's not terribly far away from where the showbiz was. I don't necessarily know the timing. I wasn't able to find a whole lot of information other than people saying things about like, oh, I remember this. It was over here. Uh I couldn't find a year. Or Yeah, the only way you probably do that is if you went down to like uh, the city and like requested like public blueprints. Public records or yeah. something, yeah. Which I ain't got time for that. Yeah, and who wants it's, to do that? C- city Hall keeps weird hours. Yeah. And no thanks. Yeah, they're always at the most inconvenient times. Mm-hmm. It's so like, you know, like 11, the times when I work a job. Eleven to two. Why? Why is it a three hour gap? Mm-hmm. But that my my guess is that if there was a Chuck E. Cheese 
in the area, it probably, it would have closed in the 80s, I'm guessing. Yeah, it must have gotten like this. And so. Probably part of the bankruptcy. Probably. Like the remaining ones. And so then when they, they converted it, they just took the one that was further down Fairview towards downtown. Uh, from what I, there was like this kind of overwhelming opinion and stuff that I was finding that Chuck E. Cheese shut down Showbiz Pizza and like ran them out of business, which mm -hmm. is incorrect. Interesting when you think about that by taking the Chuck E. Cheese name and retheming their existing restaurants, Showbiz basically shut itself down. Right. So At the it, same it time, never... they didn't really have a choice though because they lost those other characters, and it would have been like a weird, you know what I mean? Like it also. But uh, see, that's the thing. They could have they could have kept the showbiz name had they wanted to and just changed the characters. But instead, they completely changed everything, making it look like Chuck E. Cheese had taken over when really Chuck E. Cheese went bankrupt. That's yeah, that's interesting. And showbiz just changed their name, yeah. so it's weird. For <laughs> I'm people... going to assimilate you. Oh, kind of, <laughs> I've yeah. been assimilated. So it's it's weird for people to be like, oh, and then Chuck E. Cheese ran them, you know, like kick. Kicked them out or whatever. It was like, no, they they took Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> you can't beat them. Ah, actually, I beat you. I, I absorb you. I don't know. That's really interesting. And it, it wasn't even until 1998 that show, the company Showbiz actually rebranded themselves as CEC Entertainment, Inc. And I bet, I'm guessing that a large part of that is because they were like, well, we don't have these characters anymore. The only characters we have are these Chuck E. Cheese characters. Let's just change the name. Mm -hmm. Having watched a lot of videos of like the Rock of Fire Explosion Band and the various iterations of the animatronics at Chuck E. Cheese and also just having my own memories of the animatronics at Chuck E. Cheese from when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. I have to say that Fetcher's animatronics for Showbiz Pizza were 100% better. They were more sophisticated. They moved more fluidly. They actually, like, it seemed like, I think they had articulated elbows. So, I mean, they were still jerky, but they were a lot less so. Because I remember, like, all of them, like, yay. Uh-huh. Yeah. I don't know why I made that sound, but okay. <laughs> they were less so than the ones at Chuck E. Cheese. I don't necessarily think that they were better characters. And I think that overall, they're all bad. <laughs> okay. But it's, and some some of the animatronics are intense nightmare fuel. They are horrendous. Oh, yeah, the hippo was enough. The hippo is one of the better ones. There some of the ones in history. E ah grr. But I guess my overall thought was that. Yes, the ones that Showbiz had were better animatronics, better machines, character-wise. Eh. Right. So it's like whatever. Uh, so he made a better animatronic in terms of its uh, structure, mm -hmm. right, and how it functions, and the its animations, right. its movements. But it sounds like would you say that then Chuck E. Cheese had maybe not nice animatronics, but they had better. Character concepts? Is that kind of what you're no, feeling? No, I, I would say as far as like character concept, concepts, they were probably an even draw. Oh, gotcha. So in a, in a way, uh, Fetchner was the better one. 
by those kind of measures. yeah like mechanically his things were better mm-hmm. in my opinion so the characters from five nights at freddy's bear an incredibly strong resemblance to the characters from the the rock of fire band or the rock of fire explosion band and also from Chuck E. Cheese, and also just kind of like a blending of the two. So, for instance, Freddy Fazbear looks like a combination of Billy Bob, which is the bear from the Rock of Fire Explosion Band, which bear is an interesting way to call it. It kind of looks like a brown lump with a different colored base. Mm. And then the older versions of Chuck E. Cheese, where he had a bowler hat. Okay. And also kind of the, the facial proportions. All right, because I know there's... Um, so I know you're getting through them all. Uh, the the uh, Chica, from Francis and Freddy's, looks very Looks familiar. a lot like Helen Henny. Yeah, from um, Chuck E. Cheese. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like almost freakishly so. Because when I remember when I first saw that, I was like, what the hell? Like, is this Chuck E. Cheese? Mm-hmm. And then when you look at... Because the, there's Five Nights at Freddy's, and then there's Five Nights at Freddy's sister location... Which is a different. Um, um, you said the sister location. The sister location is about a different animatronic arcade type thing that is being shut down, but it's also a sister location of Freddy Fazbear's. So you have, I mean, that's that's basically what happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's interesting parallels there. Yeah. And I believe that one of the, another parallel that was drawn was in Five Nights at Freddy's. You have the like mysterious investor character, right? Uh, that's Robert Brock, the investor. Okay. Um, there was another, and I think the guy who created Five Nights at Freddy's. I want to say he's actually he actually Scott had, Coffin. He had spoken with Fesher. Okay. That sticks in my mind. Pretty sure that's true. Okay. Uh, but honestly, on the whole, when you I look... I wonder if he thought his characters were stolen because of the game. You know, I don't think had... so. I mean, I don't think so either, especially if Scott got to talk to him and like he was able to make the game. So. Well, nothing is like an outright copy of any of the characters either. I think the, the characters in Five Nights at Freddy's, I think, are unique, and, but you can definitely see where they pull their inspirations from. The looking at both groups of animatronics on the whole, honestly, they're all kind of disappointing when you consider what Disney was doing with. Mm-hmm. So, like, think about, um, God, what's it? Uh, great moments with Mr. Lincoln. The this animatronic Lincoln stands up and gives like a mm-hmm. five minute speech, right? And we we got to see that when we were at Disneyland last time. Yeah. It- I know I saw it too. It was just so long ago. They presented that at the World's Fair in 1965. Okay. So that was over 10 years before any of these even it's opened. It's almost as old as my dad. They could have done better. Because yeah. the an- like the animatronic Lincoln looked and moved very realistically. Not like any of those nightmare creatures. <laughs> As of 2017, there were over 600 Chuck E. Cheese stores open in 47 states and 15 countries. And then according to the website yesterday, 
there are currently 500 locations in 14 countries. Honestly, I don't know how there are still any of them left, because if they all look like the one that's here in Boise, they should be closed. Well, it's also, what's interesting about this too is we're at this day and age now where, like, arcades are done. Mm-hmm. Like, they really are. Like, even, like, adult things like Dave and Buster's, like, they're virtually non-existent, like, because it's not, most of those games, that like, they're so expensive. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, why would I want to pay a quarter per play? Like, yeah, sure, it felt fine early on. Like, well, and I think that's 70s. why a lot of those places moved to tokens, was because they could discount it a little bit, and people felt like they were getting more for their money. Right. But Instead of straight up now, it's like, oh, I want to play all these games. Like, and, like, some of those games, like, at Dave and Buster's, they're mobile games. Yeah, they're just With, big versions of mobile games. Yeah. Like, I, I think one of them was like Flappy Bird even. I was like, oh, yeah. why would I play Flappy Bird at... Mm-hmm. I could play that on my phone for free. Yeah, or even Flappy Bird. <laughs> or like all the other mm-hmm. knockoffs after uh, the guy that made Flappy Bird hated that it was successful and pulled it from his platform. <laughs> Did you ever hear about that? No. Oh, yeah. Uh, apparently the guy... Um, I think... I can't remember... I think... Was he in India? I don't know. Whoever made it, um, he made a ton of money off of mm-hmm. it. But he hated that it was successful. And so he, pro- like, I don't even understand what that even means. But then he pulled it from the site. And so then everyone made all these other ones. Uh-huh. Right? And But they're all, like, discount. Like, the same game yeah. with a different skin. Yeah. So weird. So I will definitely have to, oh, go to the drive. <laughs> right. I will definitely have to revisit specifically the animatronics because there are many characters that Chuck E. Cheese had retired before we even set foot in one. So that's the current, go ahead and open it up. That's the, like the current characters. Yeah. Munch is make believe band. Mm -hmm. So you've got Chucky, Helen Henny, Munch, Jasper, and I don't remember what the chef's name is. Oh gosh, yeah, he always freaked me the fuck out. Yeah, his mustache moves real bizarre. I don't like it. And also, like, this one is Nightmare Fuel, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like he's changed. I feel like he got worse. And that feels like that I don't like those eyes. I don't like, I don't like him the most. The, I don't know why this is a thing, but the animatronic eyes, I guess the consensus for program, programming them was, like, just have them flap around wildly. Yeah, like, that, no. Yeah. Um, you're possessed. Now, so take note of Munch and his keyboard setup there. Mm. Now go to, go back and go to open the, up the other one. This is the Rock of Fire Explosion Band. Look at that gorilla and his keyboard situation there. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, because this was the, this... Is almost the exact same setup. Yeah, so as you can Chucky see how. Cheese. Yep. I can see it exactly because there's Chucky. Mm-hmm. Um, there's Purple Man or Purple Guy in Five Nights at Freddy's. Uh, there's, um, I think that's so the chef that's... in the new one in in our yeah because I think this one over here is the dog. I think the dog's the drummer at Chucky e. Cheese. Jasper. Yeah. I think he's the Maybe. dog at our at our Chuck E. Cheese. I don't think he had the banjo. This anymore. the setup for the Chuck E. Cheese that we grew up with is different than this one, because mm-hmm. the the picture that we're looking at isn't one that had the three stage setup. Right, because this was uh, originally Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah. 
which I mean, that is a a modern picture, mm-hmm. but this is an older picture of from a showbiz so, pizza. What was her name? Dork, fat, beach um, bean. No, it was. Oh, oh. God, what was his name? Beach bear. Uh, Duke. Oh, Duke. Duke. Duke the dog. It says Fats. Uh, Fats Geronimo. I don't oh, remember what that dude's... I think it's Beach, Beach Bear. Beach Bear. Uh, he's a polar bear, allegedly. Uh, what? M- Mimsy? Mimsy? I mean, it makes sense, because with the melting of the polar ice caps. I, can't, I um, don't remember what exactly her name was, but she's a mouse. Yeah. And, and then that's Billy Bob. Billy the Bob bear. has the freak... Oh... Oh, honestly, I am not fucking having that. No, of all of those, go look at Duke the dog. I am. He's this one. Mm-hmm. Oh, his eyes are lopsided. I think his face is the worst. Okay, I think for me, it's the grin. I'll show it's you. The, like he fucking knows that he's up to some shit, and I'll I don't show like you a, a video after this where this guy was just like somewhere in Ireland. And he happened upon a festival that had a full setup of the Rock of Fire Explosion Band and had reprogrammed it to sing different things. Wow. Then you can see Duke the Dog. <laughs> Max Rez Default. I love the name of your no, yeah, I, I, I clearly didn't rename it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's the Pizza Wars. Huh. Very, very interesting. That is, you know... It's bananas. What a weird choice. I get that it was probably a smarter, I don't know, maybe, you know, even though Chuck and Cheese went bankrupt, that maybe they saw the marketing of the other characters as being better, or maybe they just, maybe they like, decided did, to do it. Did all of that hinge on the fact that they already owned those characters? Like, right. they owned them outright, they had the intellectual property? Uh-huh. Or, like, it's, it's weird. Hmm. Man, so shall we roll for next episode? Yeah, let's do it. I really want to get that bear's face out of my mind. <laughs> I am like, like, cause it's you guys should look that one up. What was his name? Billy Bob. Billy Bob. Yeah, Billy Bob's face will fucking haunt my dreams tonight. I'm gonna need some extra pillows and to lock the door twice. And when I say lock the door twice, that probably means I actually unlock. I would the door. say that would lock, unlock lock. it, but shit. So I um, have a set of Havsies dice. These are the treasury dice. So they are silver on one half and gold on the other. Hmm. Mm. That's true crime. True crime. True crime. Okay, I'm gonna roll. I'm gonna roll. I'm gonna roll my dice. <laughs> I'm gonna roll it. Roll your dice, move your mice. Okay. Current events. Oh. Yeah. News. <laughs> Breaking news. I'm not gonna sleep. This just in. Well, cool. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. I, I don't I just, know either. I just kind of like I was like I was like <laughs> like when you say words but you don't fully finish them, so like the air is uh-huh. just a little scary. Cool. <laughs> have you ever like have you ever talked to someone like that where like they like are talking and then at the end of the sentence it's just like this weird wisp. Uh huh. Like it's like a hiss. Well, that's fine. We can leave that okay. out. Okay. Sorry. Okay. This is it. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. Come back next week to find out what the fuck we're talking about. Bye! If you've got something to say, find us on Anchor at anchor.fm slash WTFpod. Email us at wtf.podcast.mail at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at WTF 
W-T-F-A-Y-T-A podcast. That's W-T-F-A-Y-T-A, our acronym, podcast. Our music was by Decker Hinckley, and our artwork was by Kirby Morfitt.